0: Data on literally many thousands of cases demonstrate that on average, three out of four clients who are treated with the rewind technique derive significant benefit from that treatment. And the measured effect size of that treatment, and by effect, we mean the difference between where a client is before and after that treatment, is very, very large. And it's as high or higher than those effect sizes typically seen in randomized control trials.
1: Hello and welcome to another HG podcast. I'm Jo Baker and I'm part of the HG team. And today I'm going to be talking to Roslyn Townsend about how untreated trauma can cast a shadow over your future. Ros is an experienced psychotherapist and supervisor who combines private practice work with referrals from occupational health and the NHS. She's got a specialist interest in working with those affected by psychological trauma and has worked extensively with members of Blue Light Services through occupational health and with military veterans. Through a veterans charity, PTSD Resolution, of which she's also a trustee. Roz is the author of the highly regarded self-help book, PTSD, Understanding and Recovery. Roz, thank you so much for joining us today to talk about
0: such an important topic. Oh, it's lovely to be here, Joe. Lovely to be here.
1: So I guess there's a lot of myths and misconceptions about trauma, even for those people who've experienced it.
0: So perhaps we could maybe start today by exploring what it actually is. So what is trauma? Yeah, well, I mean, first of all, it is a very, very complex subject, but in order to begin to understand it, perhaps using a physical analogy, you know, when we refer to trauma in a medical or physical sense, it's, we're usually talking about some kind of physical injury or wound that has been violently inflicted on us in some way. And in a way, psychological trauma can also be usefully thought of in a similar way, occurring when we experience something that is psychologically very damaging an event that either physically or psychologically is extremely distressing or life-threatening, or importantly, that we perceive to be so, so we feel it is at the time or afterwards. And when someone's experienced an event like that in this way, and this is something I'm sure we'll come back to later on, and if they don't have the chance to process that or recover from it properly, which many people do very naturally, then they may continue to be troubled by that event developing what we would describe as a problematic post-traumatic response to it, which is sometimes known as PTSD. And that event can remain present in their life in many different ways for many years afterwards. How can it affect people? What sorts of things do people experience? Oh, my goodness. Well, I mean, it's it's like a a pile of dominoes, isn't it? You know, one of those domino runs where obviously, you know, trauma, when we perhaps think of symptoms associated with it, there are the ones that people have immediately in their minds. Things like, for example, flashbacks, nightmares, intrusive thoughts about the event, those times when that incident, which happened in the past, is very much present in their life in the future you know, when they haven't chosen to think about it or revisit it. But obviously, when those things are going on in someone's life, there's then a cascade of other symptoms that occur. So for example, the fact that their system is constantly on alert for anything that is similar to that event, that means that they're very, very high up the scale of stress up the scale of what we term the fight or flight response so they're much closer to anger responses or fear responses in a general sense as well and of course if they're reacting in that way and feeling very much on guard in their lives the whole time then that has huge knock-on effects on all kinds of other areas of their life as well in terms of maintaining and sustaining relationships the way in which they think can be hugely affected. So perhaps their competence in the workplace or being able to manage, you know, just everyday tasks becomes affected. I mean, it really does. It goes on and on and on. So it really, really is a barrier for people being able to meet their needs in a healthy way. Absolutely. And, and you know, one of the key things when we're looking at trauma through a human givens lens is that every single basic emotional need that we have and often some of the, the even you know sort of more basic physical needs that we have the ability to meet those and the resources to do that meeting of the needs are severely damaged by untreated trauma
1: yeah so I mean obviously you know people sleep being affected by it as well if they're, they're having nightmares they're going to be
0: experiencing disturbed sleep is that something that you see quite a lot Oh, hugely, hugely indeed. And, and it's sort of affected in, in so many different ways as well, because obviously if someone has got a lot on their mind, whether that is memories of the initial trauma or whether it is events that are currently occurring in their life, such as problems in the workplace or a relationship because of the trauma symptoms, perhaps they're going to struggle to get off to sleep hugely. So the amount of sleep they're having is shortened anyway. But then beyond that, of course... If someone is constantly jumping at trauma triggers that are firing, so perhaps something in the present resembles something from that trauma memory and causes their system to fire a survival response in response to that, then of course they go to bed. And they go to bed with a whole stack of emotional arousal from the daytime. And as we know, when we're working with the human givens approach, that stack of arousal then completely disturbs the balance between dreaming and slow wave sleep and the balance and the quality of their night's rest is completely disrupted. So they wake up feeling exhausted and depleted and low in mood. So it really is, as I said, it's that sort of, you know, that domino run of effects that goes through a life. And I guess, you know, what you were saying there about something
1: in the present resembling something around that traumatic incident it, it it sounds as if what you're saying is that there's a real pattern there that the brain has has laid down a pattern of understanding
0: absolutely and i mean you know that that's fundamental to our understanding of how the brain works our brain is basically a pattern matching organ in that anything that we understand in the present we understand because we already have a template for a rough idea of what that is you know if i were to try to describe any new object to you, for example. And I said, well, it's a, a little bit like an orange, but it's got a spout like a teapot and then four legs like a chair. You'd have a rough idea of what this bizarre object was. But the only reason that I could describe it was because of those existing patterns. But in terms of those patterns in the brain, perhaps one of the most obvious times when they really come to the fore is when those patterns have been stored during a traumatic incident. Because when patterns are stored by a particular bit of the brain, the amygdala, when we go through a very distressing event, those templates for what that event was, what the elements of it that were involved were, are very crudely sort of recorded. So they're very global. And after we've gone through that event, the brain then is constantly scanning the environment to keep us safe for anything that might be a pattern match to one of those things. And of course, those templates that the brain stores they aren't just related to the bit that was the actual danger so it's not just the hulking great figure with a knife or the the car that crashed it's also perhaps the background to that so it could be that the incident happened in a room where there were green curtains on the windows or there was a particular smell in the air perhaps in a car crash of you know the smell of sort of a burnt rubber or something. And at any time in the future that we encounter something that is similar enough to that, the brain will immediately judge that there's a danger in that situation and fire a whole raft of survival responses, rapidly beating heart, perhaps shortness of breath, that kind of stuff to try and keep us safe.
1: And that's absolutely fascinating. And, you know, what has always been intriguing to me and obviously, you know, having worked with Human Givens and, and, you know, with you for many years, I do have an understanding of it. But one of the questions, you know, our listeners wanted to know is why are some people traumatised by an event and others are not?
0: Okay, so that's a really, really interesting one. And I think it's, it's a key one when we understand the kind of things that are going to help people recover from trauma as well. Because Essentially, when we experience a trauma, as I've already mentioned, something called our fight or flight response fires to keep us safe. And when that fires, it also involves a part of the brain, the amygdala, storing templates for what that danger was. But what happens after that trauma and obviously fight or flight evolved to keep us safe in dangerous situations, like if a lion wandered up and then we were going to take vigorous physical activity to survive that attack in some way. And what happens when we encounter that lion and then we run away from it? is that our system calms down. As we use up all of that fight or flight response in running or flying, you know, the rapidly beating heart begins to settle, our breathing begins to settle, that kind of stuff. What happens is that our brain also goes back to a calmer state of operation. And when our brain is able to return to a calmer state of operation following trauma, that trauma can then be processed. Now, in terms of the traumas that people experience in their everyday lives. Sometimes what happens is that they don't have that space of calm to return to afterwards. So let's say that somebody is living or operating in a very, very background stressful situation whether that's someone in the military on a difficult tour of duty, whether it's a paramedic being called out to repeatedly difficult situations and with stressful rotor sort of stuff on top of that, or whether it's someone who's stuck in an abusive relationship, when they then experience an event which is particularly traumatic and they go right up into that state of arousal to deal with it, when they come back down afterwards to do that processing, because their background levels of stress are so very high, they simply don't have access to that calm space where trauma can be processed and for all of us when we experience a trauma it is really there but for the grace of god and a, a sort of pot luck as to whether we have that correct or that that optimum environment for processing trauma effectively
1: and i guess you know it's coming into that that place of calm afterwards but what was going on before seems to be really important as well.
0: Absolutely and I I think it's that that general understanding because obviously sometimes someone can have been in a place of real calm beforehand but then experience a trauma which has such knock-on effects on their life. I was recently doing some training and was lucky enough to have someone who worked on a stroke recovery ward and one of the things that she was saying and that she recognised from the training in many of her patients was that even though their life was working really well beforehand, because the physical or the, the neurological effects of the stroke were so devastating and had such huge knock on effects on that individual's ability to function following the stroke, that it was very difficult for them to process the trauma of what had actually happened because their entire fabric of their life had been turned upside down for someone else obviously it can be that things going on beforehand inform the stress afterwards but you can see that when we've got that understanding we can see how it works from all different angles absolutely fascinating
1: and it's you know something that I found in my work which has predominantly been with with young people it's a phrase that's used a lot today. And I'm wondering whether that you, you know, you feel that it's a phrase that is perhaps overused as well in some circumstances.
0: Yeah, it's an interesting one that, isn't it? I th- I mean, you know, a sort of personal view is I think that sometimes a lot of phrases are overused a little bit in our modern society. And I think that comes from the lack of ability or, or perhaps not overused, but without the necessary refinement to be able to see that whole range of experience A really silly example that might make sense of what I'm thinking here. Um, The other night, I had a very, very nice takeaway curry. It was very delicious, I have to say. And when I was looking at the menu to decide what to have, they very helpfully had a little scale next to each of the dishes, sort of one chilli for a mild dish, right through to five for a very, very hot dish. And I think that's sometimes the case with anything that we're talking about, that there was absolute truth that all of those dishes contained a level of heat. But that level of heat varied absolutely massively between the one chili and the five chilies. And sometimes I think when we use a phrase like trauma, it can be applied as if it were equal between the equivalent of a one chili and a five chili dish. Mm-hmm. But that also and you know, leads me on to another bit of thinking about that, which is that actually that is a very, very subjective measure as well. Because we also know that for what for me would feel like a very hot dish might only be designated by two chilies, whereas for someone else, they can eat a vindaloo without any ill effects at all. And so I think it's very, very important. And this is something that, if you'll pardon the pun, um, Human Givens is very hot on, is working from a client's model of reality, And that is that if somebody has been through something that they perceive to be traumatic, whatever it looks like to the outside world, that is what the starting place has to be, that this person perceives they have experienced something which is significantly traumatic for them. Mm. Now, sometimes through work and through psychoeducation, it could be that their own feeling about that shifts. But it's certainly not the case that we're the one to tell someone whether their taste buds are going to react in a particular way to whatever experience it is. Absolutely.
1: And I guess it's really, you know, for, for any therapist working with somebody who comes in and expresses that they've experienced trauma, it's mm. really about unpacking that, that word and really finding out what their own experience is and, and how that's affecting them. on a day-to-day basis and then that gives you the the starting point of where to work with them
0: absolutely absolutely and I think that you know psychoeducation when you're working with trauma is so so important because well I mean it's important for so many different reasons but one of the huge things that people often come with if they have experienced a trauma is a huge amount of fear attached to what they're experiencing, not understanding why they're having the experiences they are. And often, even if a first therapeutic session is simply about explaining a little bit, helping them to gain that understanding, that can lower those background levels of fear, which then means that actually their brain is going to be in a better state to undertake any focused processing work that you might then go on and do therapeutically. And so, how you know there are many different approaches to
1: to working with with trauma. But one of the things that we know as human givens therapists is that actually revisiting that trauma over and over and encouraging people to to speak about it over and over on an ongoing basis is actually really quite harmful. So, how is it that the human givens approach is different to that?
0: I think the human givens approach and why I like working with this approach so much. Is that it's a very holistic approach to dealing with trauma and also as we've already mentioned it's something which works very much with a starting point of what that individual client needs now Again, we know that many people process trauma effectively under their own steam. And this isn't down to strength of character or moral fortitude. It's simply down to what circumstances surround them, what resources they have at their disposal, how much resilience they've been fortunate enough to be able to build during their lifetime. And a big part of that natural processing can sometimes be talking to people around them about what they have experienced but the key thing about that talking when it happens naturally is that the effect of that talking is for them to feel better after they've done it they feel calmer they feel better in themselves and by helping them through feeling that another human being understands what they've experienced or gone through that can allow things to calm down so it aids the process of processing however For a good number of people who've experienced trauma, when they revisit that trauma in any way, if they have been severely traumatized, then as soon as they start speaking about it or even going near it in their mind, what it does is it raises arousal, it causes stress and distress. And for a good proportion of those, when they re-experience or revisit it in that way, they do actually re-experience it. They almost go through that event again in their minds. And one of the other factors that we know is hugely um, indicative of whether someone is going to go on and develop a problematic post-traumatic stress response is if they are repeatedly exposed to a trauma. So if they go through the same or similar events time and time again, and if someone has got a good imagination and they're then encouraged to talk repeatedly about what happened to them or the distress of that event, because they reimagine it so strongly, essentially they're re-exposing themselves to it so yeah
1: that makes makes real sense and I worked with a young lady some years ago who'd been through a very traumatic experience and she hadn't actually spoken to anybody about it because she didn't want to upset her family or her friends by by talking about it but her memory of what actually happened was quite patchy and she said she couldn't make sense of the order in which some things had happened So I identified from that that it was probably going to be helpful for her if she felt able to to talk through from before it happened right the way to to after Mm. it. And and so she did that and she created a narrative arc of this in her head for the first time, which Mm. just allowed things to slot into a timeline for her. And following that, she was able to
0: process it on her own. And I think that, again i know i sound probably sound a little bit like a broken record here we keep coming back to that absolute guiding principle which has to be that we work with what that individual client needs and it's so important that if a client needs to talk through what has happened to them that we give them the space to do that but equally important to recognize that within the huge range of tools that we have to use within human givens we also have a process the rewind technique Where if somebody has either already talked the incident to death and has simply got worse through doing so or certainly no better, or if for some reason they really don't want to share details of that, which for many clients is is a real concern, I don't want to have to talk about this. We do have a process that we can use because the processing takes place in the client's head, not the therapist's head where we don't need to know details in order to guide them through a process which fast tracks that process of calming down and then being able to process that trauma and leave it where it belongs, which is in the past.
1: Why is it so important that we do treat trauma? What happens if if it's left untreated?
0: Well, I think one of the things is obviously, as we talked about at the start, there are so many symptoms associated with trauma and untreated trauma that can be so distressing. And they have such huge knock-on effects, not just in terms of an individual symptom that someone experiences at a particular time, such as fear when in the middle of a large crowd, but the knock-on effects that has on a life, on their ability to maintain relationships, to function effectively at work, to be able to feel competent and achieve things, those basic human needs that we all have. You know, it, it really does damage our ability to live a healthy and fulfilling life. And I guess from that, then, that there can be perhaps knock-on consequences for physical health as well. Oh, hugely, hugely. It always, I mean, I always find it slightly amusing now with the benefit of all of the knowledge that we now have that we ever thought that the body and mind should be treated separately, because, of course, they are completely linked. And again, back to that idea of a domino run, you know, you push a domino in the mind in a negative direction, and that cascade goes right through the system. For example, You know, one very, very um, salient example of that is that I would say about 85 percent of the people that I treat with severe trauma have also got a diagnosis of something like irritable bowel syndrome, where their digestive system is playing up sometimes, you know, in in life affecting ways. And of course, that's because one of the things that happens when that survival system, the fight or flight response switches on is that digestion is progressively shut down because it's a non-essential activity if we're running away from a lion, for example. But what happens when someone is in a state of stress with that fight or flight switched on a lot of the time is that their digestive system is being continually switched on and switched off. And so instead of this lovely, smooth sort of drive, it's, it's like being in a car with someone who's continually slamming their foot on the brake and then the accelerator. And it's a very unpleasant ride for all passengers concerned, you know? So it really does. It affects all kinds of our body in, in all kinds of different ways.
1: And I think it's an important thing to consider when you, you know, you are given, you, you go to the doctor, perhaps with a, with a set of symptoms and you're, you're given a diagnosis of, of something, you know, to really understand perhaps what else is going on behind there, because not all of these physical health labels are necessarily mm. just that.
0: No, indeed, indeed. And again, I think being able to take a step back, have that understanding of the bigger picture of trauma. And I think, you know, again, that's one of the things that I'm really grateful to Human Givens for having given me as a therapist, is that I don't feel like a one trick pony where Mm -hmm. I can just do one thing which is meant to address trauma symptoms. It is being able to take that step back, look at that whole picture of a life that is working or not working, be that in a physical sense, or a psychological sense. And then being able to work usefully to help someone be able to get their needs met, to be able to lower symptoms of arousal, which not only moves them away from some of the really unpleasant symptoms associated with the fight or flight response, but also then has the double benefit of moving them into a zone where trauma can be more effectively processed. And then really importantly, helping them to maintain that, Mm. empowering them, giving them the tools and understanding where they can then manage their own life better and keep away from such symptoms in future. And you
1: mentioned briefly about the rewind technique. Are you able to just give us a quick overview of how that and why it works?
0: Yeah, well, as I said, the rewind technique is a technique which really fast tracks what happens naturally when we recover from trauma. And one of the things that as we've established already that needs to happen in order for someone to recover effectively from trauma to be able to process that memory is that they need to have a place of calm to do so and so a key part of undertaking that work with a client is establishing first of all a skill set using some what we call relaxation or guided imagery to be able to help them into a state of really calm sort of um being so that they can then use that state to process the trauma effectively And what we then do is guide them through a process where, using what sounds, unless you're actually undertaking the technique, a little bit odd, uh, their imagination to get them to imagine a television set and a portable DVD recorder or something similar, where they can, by degrees, begin to revisit that memory in particular ways to replay it through consciousness, but in a very calm state. That then allows that memory, rather than being a series of red flags for danger, to simply become a part of their narrative history. They will still absolutely know that those events happened to them, but they will be on the shelf with an event of perhaps having fallen over and bumped their knee in a playground when they were younger. So that sense that, yes, it wasn't a pleasant thing that happened, but it hasn't got massive red flags of arousal and danger attached to it, which then require that fight or flight response to be fired every time it's revisited.
1: Ros, is there any data around that proves the efficacy of the rewind technique?
0: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well for, for over 15 years human givens therapists have been routinely monitoring their progress with clients using standardized instruments that measure change for those clients and more specifically in trauma cases therapists use specific trauma measures and data on literally many thousands of cases demonstrate that on average three out of four clients who are treated with the rewind technique derive significant benefit from that treatment and the measured effect size of that treatment and by effect we mean the difference between where a client is before and after that treatment is very very large and it's as high or higher than those effect sizes typically seen in randomized control trials.
1: That's great news and of course they're gathering data all the time and you know using those those to really understand and you know put out more data yeah. Which is great
0: yeah absolutely
1: and if you know we know that 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 technique is not actually accessible for everybody for for the large majority of people it is so what was you know really struck me was that you said you know i'm not you know we're not just a one trick pony in hg we've got so many other tools as well that we know are really helpful for working with trauma so we are able to work with trauma even if the rewind is not accessible to a particular client for whatever reason.
0: Absolutely. And because, as I said, the the whole sort of understanding of Rewind and why it works is because what we are doing is simply fast tracking that Mm -hmm. process that would happen naturally. And, of course, we have other ways in which, if that's not accessible, that we can work with a client Anything that helps them to lower their levels of arousal, to get needs met in the background is going to move their brain into a state where that processing can more naturally happen. And this was something actually that became very apparent over the pandemic, because obviously to begin with, you know, myself, for example, I went from having a full caseload of clients working face to face to suddenly overnight, everything was online and beginning to work in that way. It was new territory. And so some of the more severe trauma cases, for example, I thought, well, we'll just press pause on that. We'll do some holding sessions and talk about background stuff. But, you know, I don't want to be doing that online with people. But obviously, a little bit like the First World War, the pandemic wasn't over quite as quickly as we all thought it would be to begin with. And so and that work online continued. And what happened was that rather than sort of a few weeks later resuming that trauma work, we continued actually just doing work to get needs met, to build in tools, to lower background arousal. And what naturally happened was that many of those clients, yes, taking a little longer than might have happened had we been able to immediately do some rewind. But actually, do you know, it's not it's not quite bothering me as much. It just feels a bit further away, which, as I said to each and every one of them, that's a fantastic sign, because what that shows is that your brain is naturally processing those events that occurred to you.
1: That's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant.
0: Amazing. So is there
1: anything, you know, if you were living with somebody or perhaps you've got a friend who has experienced trauma, how can we support people around us if if they've experienced trauma?
0: I think one of the key things to remember, and again, I really do sound like a broken record, is that because in order for any trauma to be processed, we need to have the right state of mind to do it then being supportive of that person in whatever way they need you to be is essential. Now, that could be that they need you to listen to them about what has happened to them. It could be that perhaps they need support with particular aspects of life. And anything that allows things to calm down as much as possible is going to be hugely helpful. However, if perhaps, you know, several weeks after the trauma, someone is still becoming extremely distressed and is maybe feeling that they need to talk about it because if they talk about it enough, it's going to sort it out. But it's clear to you as an observer that maybe actually things are getting worse for them. Then helping them to access some good quality therapeutic support before it causes all of that domino effect and starts knocking on to, you know, because then there are more problems to deal with. If we try and treat it, when it is simply the symptoms of trauma, that's one level of problem. If we come to it maybe 10 years later, when someone has lost a marriage, has been made, you know, sort of been asked to leave their job or has perhaps turned to drink or drugs to cope with the distress, then we've got a load of extra problems to deal with on top, which we can deal with. And I do regularly work with clients and get good outcomes when that situation has occurred. But like anything, it's better to treat it when it's a cut on the toe rather than full-on gangrene, isn't it, you know? so Absolutely, absolutely. So when you're working with a
1: client who's, who's come to see you for trauma and you're working on meeting those needs in a healthy balance and being able to access their resources, there's a phrase called post-traumatic growth. And is that something that you see? Could you explain that a little bit more?
0: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I think that it's becoming increasingly recognised that the time that we really have to stretch ourselves as human beings to almost achieve that next level of our personal development, evolution, if you like, is when we go through difficult times. It's a little bit like if you're out sailing, you don't learn that much when you're out on the local pond, whereas when you manage to successfully perhaps get through some rough weather and make it safely to port, you've probably learned a lot from that voyage. And I think one of the things that, you know, I'm fortunate enough to have the benefit of seeing repeatedly is that for many clients, even though they would never, ever have chosen to go through the awful situations that they did go through, having been through them and having almost been forced into a position where they have to up their game, as it were, to find the tools to understand themselves more, to understand what they need as humans to be healthy, to repair their lives, when they do come out the other side of that it can actually be something that they're eventually able to look back on and say even though that was absolutely dreadful from it I have taken x y or z or I've developed or they simply have that sense that they are stronger because of the experience now I can't pretend that's the case for everybody that goes through trauma. Trauma is hugely debilitating. And for some people, circumstances around it are such that they aren't perhaps able to recover in that way. But it is certainly something that is very possible and something that as a therapist, I would be trying to help a client move towards. Mm. And it's, you know, it can be such a
1: a difficult area to work with. And as you Mm. say, some people having such severe symptoms what is it that draws you to to working in this area so much
0: i i think because even though it is a very difficult area to work in in many ways and even though the people that you're working with are often experiencing and have experienced extreme distress as you said right at the start there are a lot of myths and misconceptions around trauma And I think the effect on a life that can occur when someone is given the right kind of information, the right kind of understanding, the right kind of tools and the right kind of support, because it can be so transformative for them, it's actually an incredibly, I don't know, an incredibly satisfying area of work to do work in. Because the effects can be so transformative for someone when they are finally freed from a prison of past memories that have been devastating their daily life. It sounds
1: like such rewarding work.
0: Mm, It is. Is there anything that we
1: can be doing ourselves? Because, you know, life happens, bad things happen to, to good people. Is there anything that we can do as individuals to help protect ourselves, if you like, from suffering from trauma?
0: Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, we certainly can't, you know, do anything other than, you know, perhaps not, I don't know, riding motorbikes 100 miles an hour without a helmet on that, you know, that we can do physically to avoid the traumas that occur. As you say, you know, bad things happen to good people. We can't control that part. But what we can do is ensure that we have as good a basis for a return to a place of calm afterwards, should trauma happen, as possible. And the key ways in which we can do that as human beings are, first of all, to have an understanding of ourselves, of what our basic physical and emotional needs are, and to ensure that we have a life where they are getting met as well as possible. And also to have some specific tools available to ourselves to lower emotional arousal whenever we need to you know, specific tools like, for example, being able to breathe in a way that switches off rather than switches on fight or flight is a very simple example of something that we can use that allows our system to calm down rapidly and effectively. Physical exercise, another thing that allows our system to calm down rapidly and effectively. Simple things, but ones that can make a big difference in terms of that bigger picture.
1: So in effect really just knowing ourselves well, knowing those little indicators that when things might just be getting a little bit too much, being able to take a step back and having a look at maybe what's not working in our lives, maybe even doing an emotional needs audit which you can do online. Um, and, and just looking at those different areas and also really checking out how, how are we sleeping? You know, are we mm-hmm. eating well? are we are we getting outside? are we, we taking regular regular exercise? Are we hydrated? All of those, that that holistic way of, of looking mm. after ourselves is, seems to be a really protective factor.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Fantastic.
1: Well, Ros, we're running out of time, but is there anything else that you'd like to add?
0: Just that it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you this morning. And I think that, you know, if even one person listening today perhaps gains a little bit of insight or is able to access some good quality support that allows them to move forward from some really difficult events that have occurred for them then i'll be very very happy with the outcome of this podcast me too
1: well ros tutors many events for human givens college including understanding trauma effective treatment and recovery which is an online course she also does trauma patterns of past really understanding the causes and symptoms and the best way to treat ptsd and that's also a live online event as well as running the Effective Treatment for Trauma, PTSD and Phobias, which is the Rewind Technique. It's a two-day workshop that runs currently in Bristol and London. All of the training events will be included in the podcast description with links if you'd like to explore them further. And we'll also provide links to the charities that we've mentioned as well and any other resources that have been mentioned in this podcast. You can always go on the Human Givens College website as well, the link of which will be below too. Ros, thank you so much for covering such an amazingly complex and fascinating topic. It really has been brilliant to talk to you today. And I'm sure your knowledge and advice has helped our listeners and many, many more. Thanks ever so much, Joe, And thank you too for our listeners for joining us. Until next time, goodbye.